So open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. And we're going to be looking at the second coming of Christ. As you come to the great climax of the seven awful years of the tribulation, uh, Jesus is coming again. And his coming is the second coming. His first coming, we're celebrating in a few weeks, the incarnation, the first advent. The second advent is when he comes to establish his rule and reign in the millennial kingdom. So the rapture is not the second coming of Christ. He didn't come to the earth. He came for his own. Seven years later, he will come back with his own. So we're going to separate these two events, even though they really lead one into another, of the second coming and the battle of Armageddon, which prepares the way for the millennial reign of Christ. Here in Acts chapter 1, you may think, well, what on earth are we doing in Acts chapter 1? This is when Christ first left the earth at the end of his first advent. Yes, that's true. But he makes, uh, there is a promise made here that the second coming is the fulfillment of. And uh, we want to see that uh, tonight. So notice Acts chapter 1. I'll begin in verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, what things? But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Two angels were there. Verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Here's the promise. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So the Lord is coming back to the earth. And that is um, a settled fact, a biblical revelation. Now, we may not know when the rapture is going to take place, and there can be speculation, and we can say, well, it seems like it, and it looks like it, and, you know, it's going to be soon. I hear that more and more all the time. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Lord were to return, looking at the condition of the world. But we may not know when that is, but we do know for absolute certainty when his coming, his second coming is. It's seven years after he leaves this earth. And so as you begin studying this Topic, come to find out, Bible scholars say there are 1,480 references to Christ's second coming. Not to the rapture, but when he comes back to the earth. Remember, the rapture, he came for his own, meet, met them in the air, but he is coming back with his own at his second coming. Uh, the Old Testament 
we have prophecies such as Zechariah 14 and verse 4, which reads, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So when Christ comes, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah said he's going to come to the Mount of Olives and a massive earthquake. And it will be so great that it will shock uh, all who are alive. Uh, but also Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 29 in the Olivet Discourse said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So here are two of numerous passages that speak to the fact that Jesus is coming again. The rapture is an undeniable fact. It is yet to come. Seven years of tribulation, and then Christ comes to this earth, and his coming really uh, begins the battle of Armageddon, which really doesn't last all that long, and then opens up the door for the thousand-year millennial reign. So what does the Bible teach us about Christ's second coming? Or you could ask the question this way, what do we know? What do we know about this coming? Well, there are seven facts that I, uh, the way I would put them together, some people divide them up into 9, 10, 11, whatever. Uh, I boiled them down together into seven truths about his second coming. Number one, the Bible says he is coming visibly, personally, literally. Whatever order you want to put them. He's coming personally. He's coming himself. It's not a dream. It's not a figment. It is literal. And he will be seen. He is visible. He's visible. Uh, Matthew 24, 30. I read a moment ago. Says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Turn with me to the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter number one. Revelation chapter number one. Notice verse number seven. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Now these and several other verses, Acts chapter one, 
He shall so come in like manner. Uh, they all are emphasizing the fact that we will, those alive at the end of the tribulation will see him come. He's coming visibly, not an apparition. He's coming in the, his resurrected body. We'll say more about that in a moment. And it is a fact. It is real. It is true. It is unchanging. He is coming personally, literally, and visibly. The second thing that we see in, in the passages is, he is, is the fact that the form in which he's coming, he's coming as the son of man. As the son of man, meaning that he's coming in his glorified body. As he rose from the grave and it was a physical body that could be touched. It was a physical body that could eat. It was a physical body that functioned, although he passed through walls without having to open doors and windows. Remember the upper room experience. It is his glorified body, similar to what we will have when we uh, step into the eternal state. Matthew 24, 30, once again, uh, speaks of he's coming and they shall see him as the son of man coming in the clouds. Matthew 26, verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you hereafter, shall ye see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Uh, Daniel prophesied about this back in Daniel chapter number seven. Daniel chapter seven and verse number 13. He said, I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. So all of these passages refer to the, the, um, the physical nature of uh, the Lord Jesus. He's not an angel. He's not in a spirit form. He is, is a son of man in his glorified human form. Thirdly, the Bible says that he will come in the clouds. It's like he is he's being transported by his creation. It says that in Matthew 24, 30, we read Daniel chapter seven says that as well. And Luke chapter 21 and verse 27 reads this way. And they shall see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So as he's coming, this will be a glorious, significant Every eye will see it. We talked about how worldwide we'll all be able to tune into this as he descends to the Mount of Olives. It's in a physical form, looking as a man's form, but we know it's his glorified body as a son of man. And that's how he will come in that day. It also is emphasized that he's coming with his angels. I stopped reading in Matthew chapter 24. In fact, if you, if you want to turn back there, 
It's part of the Olivet Discourse. Interesting, the Lord gave it from the Mount of Olives and he will be returning to the Mount of Olives in that day. In Matthew 24, verse 31, verse 30 talks about he'll appear as the Son of Man in heaven with all the tribes coming in the clouds with great glory. Verse 31, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So it, it is not going to be, oh, I missed it. No, God's uh, designing this return of his son in such a glorious and ma majestic, magnificent way that all the world will see it and it will be emphasized with the fact of his accompanying glory. Number five, Jesus will come with his bride. That's you and me. Those who are saved, who have been raptured out. We've been called out. We've been, uh, uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive shall uh, join with them and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then seven years later, after the judgment seat of Christ, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, then we'll be coming back with the Lord to conquer and uh, to rule with him. He'll come with his bride. Zechariah once again prophesied in verse number five of chapter 14, and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as we, uh, ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. So all the saints who have preceded, been in heaven, Old Testament saints, the bride of Christ will be coming in that day. Colossians, put it this way. In fact, turn over to Colossians chapter number three. Colossians 3, I'll begin in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Notice verse number 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So when Christ comes and his second advent, Paul was communicating, the Holy Spirit had him write this to those believers in Colossae. You're going to come with him. You're going to appear with him. We will be there at that time. So Christ will come with his bride. Number six he is coming back to the Mount of Olives, specifically the Mount of Olives. Uh, we read Zechariah 14.4 earlier, uh, but it's worthy reading it again. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. 
and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. So there's going to be a massive split. I've been on the Mount of Olives three or four times, traveled around it. And whenever you go to Israel, it's not that big of a country. You've got to get around the Mount of Olives to go from Jerusalem to Bethany, where Jesus loved to go. That's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. Uh, It's right there. That iconic picture of Jerusalem. You're looking down on the Temple Mount. The Dome of the Rock is there and the Temple Mount is there. It glistens in the gold. That's a picture from the Mount of Olives. So if you've been there, you've stood on that mountain, that's where Jesus is going to return. And that mountain is going to split in two. And there will be a massive valley created as a result. And that's what the angel said to Jesus' followers in Acts chapter 1. He's going away, but he's coming back just as you've seen him. And uh, number seven, his coming is in victory and triumph. He is the king of kings and he's going to let that be known very soon. The Antichrist, the false prophet, the emissaries of Satan have seemed to be winning for seven years. They seem to be in control. They've been, they've been establishing their authority and their kingdom in Babylon. But when the battle of Armageddon begins, it's all over but the shouting. They have no more that they can Uh, they, they, They have no more hope because right after the battle of Armageddon, they're cast into the lake of fire for a thousand years and God's perfect kingdom will be established. Imagine a thousand years with no satanic influence, (laughs) no source of evil. He is, the, uh, he is a liar. He's the father of all of that that we know about Satan. That, will all, that influence will all be removed. That doesn't mean that everyone will be a believer, but it will be a righteous rule. You know, we look at governments today and we say, where is their head? I mean, are they even thinking? Look at the laws they're passing. Look what they're calling good and looking what they're calling evil. They have an inverted view of right and wrong and righteousness and unrighteousness. That will all be removed. Why? Because the Lord, the King of glory, will be coming in victory and triumph. Turn back to the book of Zechariah. It's the next to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah and then Malachi. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, verse number, uh, verse, uh, number 8 and verse number 9. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. 
And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord and his name is one. No rivals, no contemporaries, no, com no one to be compared to him. There is one king, King Jesus. Now turn over to the book of the Revelation, chapter 19. Revelation 19, verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his saints, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Notice verse number six, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He's coming in victory and in power and will triumph. And so this is setting the stage now for the end of those seven years of great tribulation, when uh, such awful devastation has been poured out upon the earth, and it's almost like the world and its population is anticipating the second foot dropping. You've heard that phrase, you just sort of wait, waiting for that other foot, that other shoe to fall or that other foot to fall. Adrian Rogers tells the story uh, in his uh, commentary, a sort of humorous story about uh, years ago, a salesman had been out all day, finally got to his hotel room and he just exhausted, sat down on the edge of the bed and he took off one shoe and he just dropped it on the floor. Back in those days, linoleum floors and loud thud. And then he thought, oh man, the guy below me is probably trying to sleep. I need to I need to be careful about that. So he gently took off the second shoe and set it down and he just laid back on the bed and he, he was so tired he fell asleep. He didn't get ready for bed. He was gone. A few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. Woke him from his slumber, went to the door. and the guy, There's a guy standing there in his, in his robe and he said, look, would you let that other shoe drop? I've been laying awake waiting for it. Well, that's sort of what the world's going to be anticipating, you know. They, they know that this kind of judgment cannot keep going. The devastation to population, the devastation to the environment. That just, it, it is all the world is waiting for that second uh, shoe to drop. And the Lord's going to come and he's going to say, okay, now you're going to see I am the Lord God omnipotent and I am going to reign. And you played your game for seven years, but now you're going to see what righteous rule is all about. And you're there in Revelation 19. Look down at verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, 
with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And it's that same image we have in in Ephesians 6. We're told that uh, we have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Now, as God is speaking, that same image is coming out of his mouth, his sword. And by his word, he will destroy. And it's describing the devastation when it says there in verse Uh, 21, we'll talk more about this when we come back for the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, All the fowls were filled with flesh. That's a picture of the carnage on uh, the uh, surface there in the Battle of Armageddon and how the birds of carrion are there eating the flesh of all who had died. And so this is the precursor. Christ's second coming is a precursor of that major event, that second foot to drop called the Battle of Armageddon, which brings to a close these seven years of tribulation. Just to sort of whet your appetite a little bit, Megiddo is a mountain there that you visit when you go to Israel. It's generally one of the first, second day you're there, your tour will take you there. And uh, there were some major events there. Uh, First, uh, Mount Carmel. Uh, As you go up on Mount Carmel, you see Megiddo, you see the Valley of Megiddo. So what is Armageddon? Well, the prefix R is hill or mountain. Megiddo is a place. So it's talking about the mountain of Megiddo, but Megiddo speaks of slaughter or destruction. So the very name means the mountain of slaughter or the mountain of destruction. And in our next study, which looks like it'll be after the first year, Pastor Eli will be doing the Wednesday night study next week in my place while I'll be gone to visit my sister. But uh, as, you, as you read through the events of the Battle of Armageddon, uh, just the, the devastation of the armies from the north, which most would assume would be the area of Russia, not, not attacking any nationality, and the armies of the east coming over the dried riverbed, and how Christ conquers. And it's very interesting reading because the blood is only on Christ's robe, not on the believers. It's as if we're there watching him wage devastation to all the enemies of his people and those who have attacked Israel. You know, it's it's a shame to hear the anti-Semitism that is growing in our world But God still says they're his people and he'll bless those that bless him and curse those who curse them. And so he's going to do it in that day. And he will show he is the Lord God omnipotent who reigns. And we'll be heading into that study of the battle of Armageddon. So think about your savior tonight. Think about 
Yes, the first advent. He was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. And we have the privilege of celebrating his coming. Man, you know, whether or not a person celebrates on December 25th, that's between them and God. My question is, when do they celebrate it? There's nothing wrong with December 25th. We're, we're, we're worshiping the coming. We're celebrating the Savior who came into this world, who lived a perfect life, who died a vicarious death and rose again so we could have salvation. At the end of those 33 years, he ascended to the right hand of the Father and one day he's coming again. The second coming. And when he comes, he's no longer gonna be uh, under the domination, although he chose that to happen, of any foreign government, he is coming to show he is the king. He is the pow all-powerful one, and he will banish his enemies at that time. Because after the battle of Armageddon and the thousand years, then, man, very quickly, you're moving into eternity where time matters no more. Satan will be loose for a short season, then he'll be bound for eternity. The, the white throne judgment of all the lost and their condemnation, and we step into the eternal state where forever we will be with the Lord. And even so come Lord Jesus. Even so come Lord Jesus. So there's a study, the second coming of Christ. And it just, I was reminded, I need to add one one, uh, I'm sorry, here's one last slide. Just this is what brings the tribulation to a close and introduces the uh, battle of Armageddon. But on your prayer list, would you um, add Brother June Pasquale or at least asterisk it? Uh, Carrie came by today and uh, obviously this has been several years. Frustration, you know, He's at the point, Lord, if you're not going to heal me, take me home. And that's hard on the family to hear. Let's be honest. And so just pray for them and uh, reach out to them, be an encouragement uh, to them. Uh, you know, we, we look forward to this time and family time, but, but there are those who will be struggling this year. And let's not forget them as we are able to enjoy what we're able to enjoy. It's not a guilt thing, but we ought to Support those who are struggling, encourage them, pray for them, and be a blessing to them any way we can. All right, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the promise of the day when we will see you or be able to come with you in a victorious, triumphant establishment so no one can argue, no one can deny that you are the omnipotent king of kings. You know, we, we look at Isaiah 9, 6, and you coming, born of a virgin, and that's a wonderful beginning, but the second half of that verse is what we're looking forward to. You'll come with a government on your shoulders. You're the king of kings. You're the prince of peace. And what a day that will be. So, Lord, make your word alive to us. Make it real and powerful. And that we would not walk around defeated as if we have no hope. For our hope is Christ. And so we have all the hope that we ever would need.
Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen.